Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 148. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Holmes and Watson of LA, Ooh. Alex and Jesse Cox. That's, I think that's a bit more appropriate before, but before I let you allow, before I can let you say anything, I have to continue. And also, special guest host today, Sinvicta of twitch.tv slash Sinvicta, youtube.com slash Sinvicta, and twitter.com slash Sinvicta. What's up, man? Hey, what's up? I'm glad to be here with so many uh, extensive titles. Thank you, Mathis. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I got to lavish them upon my friend as you are (laughs) truly the honored guest of this episode. (laughs) It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to to today's episode. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, before that, hey, Holmes and Watson, doesn't that fit like a little better? It's good. I'm not going to get into the description, the discussion of which one of us is Holmes and which one of us is Watson. I would like to. Well, wait, I have a joke that I want to say first. Ready? Yes. Holmes and Watson, more like Dietz and Watson. Is that a reference to something I haven't seen? Jesse, your response? Cricket, cricket. Somebody's going to lose their mind. Don't worry about it. That's for you guys at home. That, don't worry about these guys. These guys, yeah, yeah, these guys just these, staring at the camera. Are, these guys are too healthy. They're, they're healthy eaters. And don't worry anyway, about it. Oh, it's food. Okay. Anyway, with uh, uh, hot takes like that, you're clearly the homes. I'm the uh, homes? Yeah. Yeah. You're the homes. At least, for I'm, sure. at least I'm popular. At least, I'm, at least I'm well liked. You can yeah. you can have that. You I'll let you have that. People can go tour your fake home in the it UK. Helps me, it helps me forget about my problems. You had Robert Downey Jr. portray you a couple times, so that's that's good. true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. I'm gonna make that again. Is I'm that fine wrong? being Doctor Watson. You know what? I'm all right. I'm all Deep. right with being a medical doctor <laughs> who just like deals with you. Yeah, I'm all right with that. Doctor <laughs> Watson, more like Deets and Watson. Oh, cricket, cricket, <laughs> yeah, cricket, patreon.com slash is a wonderful website that is out there on the internet. You can go there, you can support us. This show will come on more and more times forever, maybe, possibly, until the money dries up and we lose our homes. Uh, and uh, that's it. If you go there, not only do you support us, you get stuff in return, like uh, back in the day when you get a tote, it's like the digital tote bag of 2022 if you think about it that way you know like back when there were tv drives and you got tote bags but now it's 2022 so instead you get art you get access to stuff before anyone else you get all kinds of uh like an extensive library of us reading crazy news articles for the week and sometimes other things which i tease on a regular basis here on the podcast patreon.com slash chiluminati pod patreon.com slash chiluminati pod Patreon.com slash Pod, the finest website. I'm so glad that that tagline has stuck. It's it's really done a, a, a great job at pushing people to Patreon.com slash Pod. It's good. I mean, I I don't know. It's the last word in slogans. It's, it's the only the only quote unquote ad I leave in for the Patreon people because people love it that much. That's, so, you know, I, I leave it on. I don't edit it out. It gets it gets put out there for patrons as well. So they never forget. That's the secret to doing ad reads, folks. Just <laughs> do a great job. Uh, yeah, just do a great job. So, so Victor, we, we when we're on this show with a guest, we always start by asking them, like, what's your like relationship with the subject matter of the show? Like, are you a believer? Are mm-hmm. you? Uh, like a skeptic, are there certain things that you're like big in on that like you know are big, or th- certain things that you're out on? Where are you at? Uh, well, 
again, thanks for having me here. First off, I'm super excited to be doing this episode. And as far as the question at hand, I'm definitely more of a skeptic than anything. Um, I've been around the circles here and there over the years, people who like believe in like all the witchcraft and then believe in ghosts and all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, if you, if you challenge me to go sit down in some place that you think is haunted, I will stay there for 24 hours and not have a problem. That's My the type man. of person. You're just like Jesse. You're My just man. like, then you're a Jesse. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, you must be listening to the show because that is like word for word what Jesse said. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, okay, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Said that man, many let's times. Let's make it yeah, happen. Yeah, I'll do I'm, I'm down. Let's, let's freaking do it so on the jesse to math scale you're a jesse not even anywhere else you just yeah firmly on the left i mean I, i'm not a i i don't wouldn't say that i don't entertain the belief of some things but at the end of the day i'm just like if you if you said all right i'm gonna give you a hundred dollars to give you my honest input do you believe in ghosts or or you know telekinetic powers that sort of thing i'm gonna say uh no can i have my hundred dollars thank you but do you, do you at least invoke the Mulder clause? Like, do you want to believe? I want to believe. Yes, I, I will. I will go that far to say that I, I would love to believe in something like that. It's just that my mind will not allow me to entertain such thoughts when there's not a whole lot to really go on. The burden of any rational minded man. You yeah, know? I guess <laughs> that, that, if that's my if that's my title. I go here from without and then, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to willing to own it. By a today, today, Jesse, you have a brother to lean on. You know what? I always knew that. Like, you know, the minute you said some victory was going to be on, I was like, great. Easy for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll just argue then, anything. I'll just microdose some shrooms and just like go full Mathis. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need somebody to balance, it, to balance the scales, please. Well, Nobody left in the middle. Jesse and I oh, have nobody. the same beard color as well. So we're, we're yeah, we so are we're, really just brothers. We're, yeah, we're good. Yeah. I'll yeah, watch exactly one episode of Land of the Lost, uh, Batman Forever, uh, the movie, and then I'll Land be, I'll of be the in Lost. <laughs> Land of the Lost is great. Amazing. <laughs> Land of the Lost is amazing. Um, uh, well, the reason actually for having Sinvicta here as well is uh, a topic that people have really wanted us to cover for lit- basically since the inception of this podcast. It's a very popular topic, and I'm surprised we haven't covered it yet. Um, and uh, Sinvicta is a native of the region. We will be covering today the Bermuda Triangle. Finally, um, finally, before we dive. Yeah. Before we dive into anything, uh, just a list, a few of the sources I used um, researching the Bermuda Triangle is kind of like researching aliens. I realized it's just scattershot information, many of which contradict each other. I have two separate potential origin dates for the name Bermuda Triangle to start. Um, but thank you to the to history dot com. Um, obviously, that's like this was a huge resource for me. Uh, the book, the Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved. The 1975 book by Lawrence David Cush. So if you want to read it, um, he's kind of a guy who really breaks it down scientifically. And we'll just say he's not a believer in anything of the mystical that happens there. Uh, and a bunch of other freaking websites that I ended up using to kind of piece this thing together. I imagine the three of you are at least very familiar. We have to be very familiar with the Bermuda Triangle, right? Like there's no way none, either all three of you just don't know what this is. Very familiar? Like... Case for case, no, but okay, yeah, not case for case, but the idea and what what the mysticism is and the like. Yeah, yeah, like it's like some X file shit. It's like uh, the Twilight Zone. It's like uh, Langoliers. I don't know, like something's happening. Things are disappearing. Yeah. 
There's like a weird uh, 1960s but, electronic organ sound that you just hear <laughs> in the general vicinity of the. It's yeah, true. That's how you know you're in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. That's when that noise travels through the airwaves. Yeah, they don't have signs out there to say, hey, you're here now. It's, you got to listen for the pipe organs and the angels chorus and all that stuff. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Looking the, for like a, an interdimensional d- d- door opening in the sky. Yeah, you Something know, like the, the TLDR on it is basically the the. The layman's understanding of it would just be that planes go missing there. There's paranormal stuff that can happen. Space time thing kind of warps and there's just all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff. And the I think the one that's most commonly associated with it is the fact that you have these planes that just go missing. These ships, mm-hmm. they go into the triangle, then they disappear because there's like a big wall of mist or whatever, and they never come back. I think that's probably the most accepted, widely understood concept of the of the mysticism surrounding the the whole area. Um, but as math as I'm sure we'll go into, there's there's it goes way deeper than that um, for yeah. uh, for some of these stories. Yeah. So uh, a big thing, too, is, is that we've actually we've actually on this podcast did briefly touch on the Bermuda Triangle a couple of times in some side episodes. The Hollow Earth one, for instance, when that guy was in the got brought into that slit in the middle of like the water and brought into like the paradise that lives beneath the yeah, earth a couple like, other things have led us to the Bermuda Triangle stuff. tangentially. Yeah. So in this episode, instead of retreading old ground, the plan I have really is simple. First, I want to look at where the origin of the Bermuda Triangle even starts. When was the first encounter or at least the first mention of the thing? After that, I've picked like five or six of the major disappearances that we'll just go over and talk about. And at the very end, I really want to talk about that basically where the book I read came in, what likely happened and what the reality of the actual situation is and are really that many things going missing there or is it more pop culture rumors that are spread we'll talk about that a little bit can can i ask you one question about the uh, book that you read yeah self-published or real published a real published by and it's published by multiple different people it's been republished by multiple different people over the many years you can get different editions of it different covers it's it's can all I ask kinds you of what this book is it's it's a man who's uh basically he's, he's an investigative journalist he went out looking for the people that have claimed things happened claimed uh things went disappeared he interviewed eyewitnesses he would research records uh to to match up ships did they really go missing did they not go missing um and basically just tried to either Prove or disprove what he possibly what he could uh, in the investigation of the Bermuda Triangle. That seems um, dope, actually. Do you know? It's very good. It's it's fun. Do you know when this book was published? 1975. Can I tell you something? Please. I do. think this is the book I had when I was a kid, and Ooh. my dad gave it to me. <laughs> my dad gave it to me, and I. It was one of my favorite books. One of my it's absolute favorites. Person, he's like. The man in the book, I don't know, he's, he's very like, he's just, he seems sick of the rumors. <laughs> like, I don't know, he's like done with it. He's, he really wants to prove it false or prove that something happened, but it's good. It's a good read. I, I suggest you go read it. It's it's fun. It's not that big of a read either. And you can get it pretty cheap on Amazon and just choose which edition you want. That's exciting. So, the, before we dive into uh, Sinvicta, you are from... Bermuda, correct? That is correct. Born and raised there. I uh so, I, I know I know a lot of a lot of stuff when it comes to the island. So what is the the story or the rumor or the 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 myth of Bermuda Triangle in Bermuda, if there even is one? So as a kid growing up, um we didn't 
we didn't really hear or know anything about it. Like we wouldn't be like, oh, hey, we're all living in the Bermuda Triangle. Like it wasn't really like that. I never I didn't even hear about what the Bermuda Triangle was until I came over to the to America. Um, and people mm, would always constantly ask me like, oh, do you oh, do you live in Bermuda? Whoa. You're, how do you how do you live in the triangle? So I'm like, what are they even talking about? Because even <laughs> even back then, like on TV, we were we didn't get American uh, TV. It was it was all British stuff. So you would I mean, whenever we would hear the, the term Bermuda on TV or or even on the radio, it was a big deal. Like that Beach Boy song was was huge. We we're like, oh, Bermuda, oh, let's go. But, you know, the there's no there's no prevailing like undertone of like, oh, we're 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 living in a mysterious place or anything like that. It was literally just home. No I mean, Area 51 vibes. Nope, no, nothing yeah. like that. No. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that's the, I find that really interesting and probably indicative of what the truth is behind the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> as think? a whole. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about it as we go. But uh, to start, even there's a conflicted, there's conflicted information as to where the name Bermuda Triangle even started, or at least the story behind the Bermuda Triangle even started. We have an article written on September 17th of 1950 in the Miami Herald that talks about the unusual disappearances in the area, though it does not use the term Bermuda Triangle directly. Uh, the name Bermuda Triangle is first used in 19 in February of 1964 by an author, uh, Vincent Gaddis, who wrote an article called The Deadly Bermuda Triangle for a pulp magazine called Argosy. That is Argosy. significantly newer than I would have imagined it would be. Yes. that Yes. I, I thought the same thing as I was looking this up. I'm like, this is not that old. I would expect I it, it to would have be... been 30 or so years older than that, at least. Yeah. Is that weird? You would think it'd be so associated what? around like World War Two or World yeah, War One. Something like there. that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting because, yeah, I, too, feel the same way that most of the stories you hear about, like the World War Two pilots that went there yeah. or like an ancient like like a, a frigate. Got mm. lost. But yeah, was now, there one that you did that was exa- that is exactly what happened to it. I yeah. think what's interesting here is that probably people like they backtraced it. They probably were like, oh, well, what else happened in this weird place? And then right. they associated things that happened with the Bermuda Triangle rather than the Bermuda Triangle actually doing anything, which is yeah, super correct. interesting. That, yeah, that, and that's exactly what I think happened as well. Because again, the, the 1964 is the first time we even hear the word or the term Bermuda Triangle. Um, but there, but you're right. There are stories of World War II planes disappearing. There are stories of old-timey 1800s ships disappearing. Yeah, that's interesting. Including modern stuff, which we'll, we'll, again, we'll talk about that. But yeah, it, it, what's also interesting and it, that we'll learn through as we go is how much pop culture has so built this myth that it is impossible to know what's truth and what's made up to make the story more fun. Unless you really like rip apart digging for this shit, because it's not easy. So many people feel like they have Bermuda triangle stories or they heard about this, but most of those are not true or they have half the truth, but not the actual conclusion to the story. They just thought, that's where it ended. Yeah. Um, there, the, that, the most, yeah. the one that the only one that we even like even heard about on the Island itself was flight 19. I don't know if you have any information on yep. that. We'll be that's, talking a little bit about flight only, 19 today. That is the only one that's prevailed, uh, back in those days. And I had actually heard about that one only after I visited America one time, came back and actually there's articles about it in Bermuda itself. But that's, that's the most, to me, that's the most well-known one that I can remember from way back in the day. Um, but even right. then, that that predates the name, the term Bermuda Triangle, which is crazy. But because the next bit of information too points to again the, the thing that Jesse said, 
that they definitely seem to backtrack. Yeah. Um, because even in the article, uh, the Gaddis actually is the one who he's the one who dictated where the Bermuda Triangle even was. Well, he isn't, was that, the one the, that, isn't that the vibe of it anyway? It. Isn't that the whole backstory of it is that it's like we realize that all these things were in a triangle. Right. So my for people who don't know, it's Miami, San Juan and Port, uh, Puerto Rico and Bermuda, those three places. Um, what's funny is that even after this article had been published and it became more common in people's minds, writers who would write about the Bermuda Triangle following wouldn't even necessarily always follow the definition of where he declared the vertices were. Mm-hmm. Some writers gave different boundaries and different vertices to the triangle entirely, with the total area varying somewhere between 1,300,000 kilometers or 3,900,000. It's a huge, uh, so for, for us, 500,000 to 1.5 million square miles. So is there even a, a, is there even an agreed upon one today? No, 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 there is people use it. Only the boundaries that that Mathis was talking about the, the Puerto Rico, Miami and and Bermuda was, that's basically it. But as far as the, the loose definition of a triangle, it's, it varies. That is so weird. There are some, there are some articles out there and some people who have made claims that it says it stretches as far as the Irish coast. Mm -hmm. What? Which is nuts so again so far from there <laughs> again because because of that shrinking and growing size of the bermuda triangle any and all stories in the general vicinity of that area can be tossed into the bermuda triangle story in the bermuda triangle myth and immediately uh you know it, it the myth is is propped up even further and made stronger in the minds of people in pop culture but i think that also diminishes like one of the crazy things about it is that I very much remember like an old coast to coast episode where a dude mm-hmm. was like the, the aliens, the facility that they have is actually much larger. And the <laughs> reason why it extends actually further than the Bermuda triangle is, is like that one area is just happens to be the center of their operation, but actually it's a much wider. And so that's how they can say like Irish coast and stuff like that. But all that does is diminish the like legend of the Bermuda triangle, which mm. It's better when it's a little tiny place that like, don't go in there. Yeah, yeah I don't want to go in the, in the triangle. Like it, it makes it worse <laughs> if it's like, it's just the entire Atlantic. It's literally it. just the entire Atlantic Ocean at that yeah. point. But, but that's the thing, right? Is it's like people want to put their stamp on it. And I imagine that that just allows them. To, it's very easy to try and get your name out there and be like, I have a story about the Bermuda Triangle. If the Bermuda I Triangle can be any that. size you want. Yeah. Like imagine being like, uh, I was also at the American Revolution. I was there. I was <laughs> I, like, <laughs> here's something that I know about. Here's something I just I found out about that has to do with the American Revolution, this thing in history. Like it's just it's such a weird thing to not want to agree on facts like. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, well, very I, like, I love the romance of it. You know what I mean? Like, I, like it's it's too cool. That's like obviously why it's stuck around, right? But like, right, the idea that like you know, I don't know. I come at these types of stories already from sort of just like a culture cultural cultural perspective, where I'm just sort of like, oh, this is a neat thing, but like, isn't that isn't that? I don't know. Like, the fact that they're not saying, okay, here's. Here's the the like numbers for the triangle. Like here's the ones that fall within it. There are this many. Like it's weird that that's not what this is about. Right. Yeah. It's um. It's it's a. Uh, it's so. I, I, the more I read about it, the Bermuda Triangle just became more interesting, and not in a way that for me is like more interesting in terms of paranormal. It became a very interesting pop culture kind of topic as I kept kind of ripping through this stuff. Super comic um, booky, right? 
very comic booky yeah. like a lot of the time. Um, in fact, like even further to the origins, there are actually scholars out there who believe that the first mention of the Bermuda Triangle is actually in William Shakespeare's The Tempest. And that that's actually us based on a real life Bermuda shipwreck that's where it that takes happened. place. The Tempest. Yes. Yeah. That, like that's what that's what that's a that's Christ some scholars believe. You are for believing <laughs> such a thing. It's either from a newspaper in 1964 or Shakespeare's first folio from the 1500s. Right, that, like, again, that's such a huge. Like, but this exactly. goes back to when we talked about Atlantis. And the idea yes. that Atlantis could mm-hmm. be anywhere because everyone's like, well, I'm going to put my mark on this. So now it's in this other place. And I think I, I would say all four of us understand this. But, Alex, I think you understand this most of all. The idea of when you go into writing and you in a room with other writers and, and like there's a product or you have to like write a thing that exists. Everyone wants to have a little bit of that script so that they, so they'll just throw out, especially executives. They'll throw out like, what if instead it was a dog that talked the poison, (laughs) the poison mindset of all creative work that involves money period. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I feel like this is roughly the same where people are like, well, I want to get in on this. So now my story is the, it's, it's like when it's like clickbait for paranormal stuff. Yeah. If you add a Bermuda Triangle to it, suddenly your crazy theory makes sense. Yeah. Like to that point, when we did fucking Atlantis, I had like the like Atlantis is one of one of our most listened to episodes. And it's the the conversations that spewed were crazy. People were mad at us, but they were all mad at us for different reasons because they all had different contradicting beliefs. And but they were all it's just nuts. And people just. Yeah. Yeah. They want to latch on to it. It's just it's insane. Um. Continuing to build its its mythology kind of over the years, uh, more reports would do, reports would slowly but surely build up of unexplained disappearances that would catch the that wouldn't really catch the public's attention until the 20th century. Uh, one of the more infamous things that happened was a tragedy that occurred in March of 1918 when the USS Cyclops, a 542 foot long Navy cargo ship with over 300 men and 10,000 tons of manganese ore on board sank somewhere between Barbados and the Chesapeake Bay. That was the one that you were talking um, about, right, Jesse? Yes, that's the one I was talking about. Yeah. The Cyclops one is when you were talking about. That was like a history of the episode about that. And there was like a weird, there's a lot of weird stuff in that story and a lot of reports of them being like, our engine is freaking damaged. And they're like, just go, you're fine. So there's so many levels to that story, but it is a missing ship and it is super interesting. And it did disappear possibly in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ship put out to sea from Rio de Janeiro on, six, uh, on February 16th, 1918 and entered Salvador on February 20th. Two days later, she departed for Baltimore, Maryland, with no stops scheduled, carrying all the manganese ore that they had just picked up. The ship was thought to be overloaded when she left Brazil, as her maximum capacity was 8,000 tons, and they were carrying 2,000 tons more yeah. than the ship was made to carry. That seems like that <laughs> just solves the mystery right there. That's, you, know, you, know, you would think, right? Yeah, Occam's um, razor points to human error on that one. Right, exactly. Uh, before leaving the, point, the port, Commander Worley had submitted a report that the starboard engine had a cracked cylinder and was not operative. Yep. The report was then confirmed by a survey board, which recommended that the ship be returned to the United States. She made an unscheduled stop in Barbados because the water level was over the Plimsoll line, which I mean is uh, the thing that indicates is just too far up. You can see it just like a measurement. 
and I imagine the the ship starts to sink once that is. The water line. The plinzel line was literally anything, and I would believe you. It just yeah, sounds yeah, that's, yeah, that's like just a, a real neat word. The plinzel line. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, fun it, to say. It's, it's the name of a special marking, also known as the international load line, the plimsoll line, and water line, that indicates the draft of the ship and the and legal limit to which the ship may be loaded. Um, Plimsoll line. It was overloaded. Yeah, it was it was overloaded with the manganese ore. It was just it too too heavy. But investigations in Rio proved the ship had been loaded and secured properly, so there was conflicting reports. The Cyclops then set out for Baltimore on March 4th and was rumored to have been sighted on March 9th by the molasses tanker Amalco near Virginia. Hmm. But this was then denied by Amalco's captain. Additionally, because the Cyclops was not due in Baltimore until March 13th, the ship was highly unlikely to have been near Virginia on March 9th as that location would have placed her only about a day away from Baltimore. <clears throat> in any event, the Cyclops never arrived in Baltimore and no wreckage of the ship was ever found, which is why it's so pervasive and so um, mm-hmm. heavily mystery. Like, it's a big mystery. Well, wait, so they said For- that they saw it and then they, like, decided that they it wasn't the Cyclops it, that they saw so or they the- saw it, they thought they saw it, and then they decided they saw nothing. There were rumors that they had been seen and then the captain of the ship, the rumors were about, then denied that they ever saw them. And it makes sense that it wouldn't have been out there because if they had seen them, they would have been really close to Virginia and they, they right. wouldn't have lost the ship. But he was saying, yeah. we've seen nothing, not... Yeah, he saw, yeah. we didn't see anything. Yeah. We never saw them. Got it. Um, yeah, so and then again, no wreckage of the ship ever was found. Reports that uh, indicate that on March 10th, the day after the Cyclops was rumored to have been sighted by the Amalco, a violent storm swept through the Virginia Capes area. While some suggest that the combination of the overloaded condition, engine trouble that they had, and bad weather may have conspired to sink the Cyclops, and I argue that any one of those things alone <laughs> yeah, could have yeah, sank the Cyclops, really. um, an extensive naval investigation concluded, quote, Many theories have been advanced, but none that satisfactorily accounts for her disappearance. You know what's uh, crazy? Some- the, when I did this in a history mystery, mm-hmm. I don't think the angle that I took on this was the the Bermuda Triangle. No. And yet, this is in the Bermuda Triangle episode, which, again, goes back to the fact that the Bermuda Triangle is anything and everything, apparently. Yep. Anything that happened it's, in a huge portion of the globe. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and everybody loves the a good a good missing missing ship story. And, and you know, the sure. fact that it can just disappear out of nowhere. It's like, oh, I don't know. Wait, how does something that big get destroyed without anyone knowing? It's like if, I feel like the people who hear this kind of thing and believe into, into that sort of stuff don't actually they probably have never been over the Atlantic ocean or any large amount body of water, because it, it, it is very possible to get lost in the ocean. Oh my God. It's, yeah. They, they look at a globe and they look at a map online. They're like, Oh yeah, that's not that big. I'm like, uh, <laughs> it's no man. All you got to do is look at that Malaysia flight that yep. literally I vanished. I was going to say that same yep. thing. That thing. Like they tracked it and they were like, all right, well it has to be in this specific area. And they're like, we can find nothing. But then when you like, you know, all the conspiracy theory stuff. But then you look online and it's just like, yo, that is some deep ass water. Yeah, that yeah. is that could be gone forever. Y'all. And God knows what the currents took it and mm-hmm. moved it underneath yep. the water because it's varying currents. And, and that's stuff. like 80 percent of the reason why we can't find it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have kept up with that, but very recently, actually, two weeks ago, they they have new information. They know uh, they have a very precise location of where it most likely is now, thanks to this guy who was pinging radio. He was pinging radio signals 
Um, I don't remember what he what he does. It was something to do with the weather. And he pinpointed where the where there were interruptions in his radio signals. And and that's attributed to to aircraft in the area. Wow. he He was able to actually map out the the direct path of where the flight was and and what's crazy about mh370 or, or 390 whatever it was is that it actually did a full circle like it did it did a very very tight but short circle in, in like a 360 degree circle and then went down um huh. so it's it, it's really fascinating it's on youtube you can go check it out it, it's really really cool with the new information that's, that's, not actually, Bermuda, that's not the Bermuda yeah. Triangle, so. <laughs> no, but still, like, the, the again, the example is just, like, the ocean is huge, man. Yeah, like, that's, what, that's what I'm just saying. Like, people people are like, well, how can something that big as a cruise ship can go without? Surely there's got to be some way. It was, it was David Copperfield. He made it just disappear or something. Like, no, the ocean is, is huge, man. It can literally swallow anything. It can swallow, like, countries. I remember a show that used to be on TV me too. That was oh. that was called <laughs> Sequest. Yes, oh, Sequest. That yes. sounds familiar. Sequest. Yes, and it was it was literally Star Trek, but the ocean. And oh, I remember the more that you, show. Yeah. yeah. The more you think about it, the more you're like, oh my god, yeah, no, Earth is like a lot Huge. of water, and we don't Most spend water. any time exploring it. And that, but again, that goes to the mystery of like. What's in the Bermuda Triangle? We've never actually like yeah. spent time under there with the aliens. That's that's like that's another thing a lot of conspiracy conspiracy theorists love to jump to is like we've been we've only explored two percent of the ocean and yet we're trying to explore space. What are they hiding? And it's like maybe it's just really hard. Also, it's you know there's a lot of risk of just dying. You know? yeah. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what to tell honestly, you. you know what it is is like a hundred percent what I believe the deal is with the Bermuda Triangle is just that it is like super good like accidentally is just like super good marketing agreed yeah like you said it yourself like sinvicta like when you were saying like yo we love when we hear the word bermuda in like media right Mm -hmm. but like to people who aren't from bermuda they hear it and all they literally like they're they have no idea what bermuda is probably not even exactly where it is in america at least right and and uh, they're like, oh, the one thing I know that has to do with Bermuda is the Bermuda Triangle. Yep. So and, and that that is yeah. permeated through pop culture since I've been alive. Yeah. And, and it, it sounds and, cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it sounds neat. And yeah. It's just like Jesse was saying, if you want to add marquee value to your to your stories, just add the Bermuda Triangle on there. Boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got yourself a headline. Done. Yep. Dead on. You are dead on. Uh, we're going to go a little bit more about the Cyclops before we move to another disappearance. Um, when they were when after it disappeared, the summation was written, however, that before two of the Cyclops sister ships, Proteus and Nereus, vanished at sea during World War Two. So it was part of like many ships, I guess, that disappeared. First of all, they and the calm fake down Titanic, the names. Oh, the fake Titanic, the fake Titanic, yep. it's all connected. <laughs> Both ships, however, were transporting, <laughs> again, heavy loads of metallic ore similar to that which was loaded on the Cyclops during her fatal voyage. In both cases, their loss was theorized to have been the result of catastrophic structural failure, but a more outlandish theory attributes all three vessels' disappearance to the Bermuda Triangle. But like, what does of, that even mean, course. to the Bermuda Triangle? Like, what, what am I imagining? It's, like, it's the, the Bermuda ocean, Triangle's fault to whatever is there. The ocean just, like, Sink opening, it. and then the ship's just, like, just quietly. Falling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean think, just closes back up. I think um, Cthulhu and Lovecrafty and stuff is also heavily attributed to that. It, to my more modern day understanding of, of what the common belief about the really? mythos is, yeah. 
Is yeah. there? Yeah. Are we going to talk? I don't want to jump on this. Are we going to talk about that? Like what people think the mirror triangle is? Uh, I'm going to go over like what it most likely is. We can but definitely like, talk about all the crazy stuff. Yeah, I can tell I you. Like I can give you many examples of what I've heard people ask me about love, and think about. I, love yeah, to definitely. I think yeah, it's I the dreaming celestial at the end of Eternals. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Whose hand comes up and doesn't do anything to the Earth's rotation. I was on Reddit the other day and I saw a random post on the front page that was like, when is Marvel going to address this? And I've never felt more seen. And my, <laughs> I was like, like, thumbs up, gave an award. I was like, you are speaking my language. Thank you. I think it's I think it's X-Men time when we see that. That's my prediction. That's my uh like poor Richard's almanac prediction about the mcu you're hearing it here Chilumati exclusive if they go back to the dreaming celestial it's x-men time yeah that would make sense to me i feel like we're going to get the introduction of x-men in the new state uh doctor strange movie though god dude, that's so. about patrick stewart is literally in that movie I know. he's in the movie no, but they're, not so. just gonna mer- they're not just gonna put the fox one in are they do you think it's patrick no. stewart yeah but uh, okay uh, or it's john luke picard i'm either I'm way just i'm saying, fine i mean he might, be playing, he might be playing professor x but i'm just saying yes but I'm a different just, version. Yeah, of that's Professor what I'm saying. Like, X. is it like yeah. a, is it like a Garfield situation? Like, is it a are we supposed to believe the, uh, situation? The, the Fox's X Men was part of the Illuminati Council all along. Like, no, yes, no way. we are supposed to believe that. Don't ruin this oh, for me. Well. <laughs> okay. How, all right, that, back to, yeah. All right. Yeah. We gotta go back to the Bermuda Triangle, boys. Uh, but actually, last question for Jesse: What do you hate more, Eternals or Picard, the new show? Uh, here's the thing: it, Picard isn't over yet. You know, it's so not, I, I can't I can't say that. And Picard had Q for one and a half episodes. So I'm I it's a little bit better than Eternals. Get <laughs> all right. All right. Eternals all right. was I, 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 I like no shade on Eternals, really. Like, no, I don't really. But, it's, but, no. but Q is more entertaining than the entire two and a half hours of Eternals. Shout out <laughs> to John Delancey, man. Yeah, yeah, he crushes that role. OK, well, a little bit more. Uh, so, again, we learned both ships were also traveling with the heavy ore. So obviously they tried to search for the Cyclops and one last little mysterious telegram was received before we'll leave this alone. This is the good bit. This is the good bit. Near the time the search of the Cyclops for the Cyclops was called off, a telegram was received by the State Department from Charles Ludlow Livingston, the U.S. Consul on Barbados. It says Secretary of State, Washington, D.C., April 2nd uh, at 2 p.m. Department's 15th confidential Master Cyclops stated that required 600 tons of uh, coal having sufficient on board to reach Bermuda. Engines, very poor condition, not sufficient funds, and therefore requested payment by me. Unusually reticent. I have ascertained he took here ton fresh meat, ton flour, thousand pounds vegetables, paying therefore $775. From different sources gather the following. He had plenty of coal. Alleged inferior, took coal to mix, probably had more than 1,500 uh, tons. Master alluded to by others as damned Dutchman, apparently disliked by other officers. So the people hated the captain. They were not a fan of the captain at all. Rumored disturbances en route hither, men confined and executed. Also had some prisoners from Whoa. the fleet in Brazilian waters, one life sentence. United States Council General Gottschalk, passenger, 231 crew exclusive of officers and passengers. Have names of crew, but not of all the officers and passengers. Many dramatic names appear. Number telegraph or wireless messages addressed to master or in care of ship were delivered at this port. 
All telegrams for Barbados on file, head office St. Thomas. I have to suggest scrutiny here. While not having any defined grounds, I fear fate worse than sinking, though possibly based on instinctive dislike felt toward master. Livingston Council. That's what I'm saying. There's so much mystery to this ship. It's like it, it it's like trouble layered on trouble layer. It's like a perfect storm for something to go wrong and for the ship to vanish. Okay, but and here's yeah. the thing. Like like the ship itself, even the people on board, if it wasn't sunk, piracy is very clearly another option as well. Yes, and There's that's what they yeah, so that's what they're talking about. So many other options here. for this ship. But I also, you know what? I'd be fine if a void opened in the ocean and uh, they got teleported to the moon. Like, I'd be fine, too. Like, whatever. <laughs> okay, but didn't I mean, it, doesn't it, it say Bermuda there in that letter, though, at least once somewhere? No, it was Barbados. Uh. Yeah, Barbados. But, like, it's yeah, very, I mean, think about it. you know, like, it's close enough. <laughs> to, the, to the pirate point, they were not only filled to the brim with what they had. They had 2,000 tons more than they were supposed to be carrying. That is a payday. For whoever ends up pirating that shit. And more importantly is it was known. Like there was a fight yeah. between the captain and the like shipping people. Cause they were like, look, you got to take this back, bro. Yep. And he was like, no. And, <laughs> and apparently another thing that I, that I learned is that the, ore they were shipping was corrosive to the hull. Apparently <laughs> just ridiculous. Why did man? they send and this on a ship? Why were they like, we need, this is the most dangerous thing we've ever put in the ship. Ah, fuck it. Let's just send it. Uh, you know what? Let's put more than normal. Uh, cause they, money, baby. Yeah. The engine's not working. Well, it's fine. You'll Isn't make it, it a military no vessel. Were they really after money? It was like a transportation yeah, ship. Yeah, it's just for, a transportation as a cargo yeah. ship. That just seems it's always spookier whenever you read when you hear like the broken English of old telegraphs as well. Yeah, the timbre and the delivery is always like it's mm-hmm. like, oh man, like they talk about fights and all of a sudden violence and you know, the, the, all that stuff leads to the to the mysticism. But yeah, you know, it sounds yeah, like somebody likely. ordering breakfast at a Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> Waffle House, Waffle right. House. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> I love Waffle House so much. Look, don't <laughs> rub it in, okay? <laughs> I don't have any near me. I have to I don't get on an airplane. Nearby. Nowhere near, no, not close. Nothing like within like thirty minutes of me. I'd have to go further They're for a waffle everywhere. house. I don't, I don't know any. I have to near get in an airplane to get to a waffle <laughs> right? house. Yeah, yeah, we got to, we got to pass the Bermuda Triangle to get to a waffle oh, house. Okay. All right, we're going to rewind time a little bit to a bit of an earlier disappearance. The HMS Juno, which was originally set sail in 1844, but disappeared in 1880. Uh, She was a 26 gun Spartan class, sixth rate frigate of the Royal Navy that was launched in 1844 at Pembroke. That is 100 percent the most badass effing thing you've ever uttered ever. That was (laughs) that was a model that I bought in the summer of 1999 at Games Workshop. Uh, the mall. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was she was she's taken part that ship took part of some very big battles including uh she carried out the historic role in 1857 of annexing the annexing the cocos or keeling islands to the british empire she was then renamed hms mariner in the 1878 and then hms atlanta two weeks after that so they changed the name was really quick not to make a reference to a song that's like over five years old when you Which said song the you huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Coco. Yep. that's what I got. Yeah, I'm with you. So its disappearance uh, was in 1880. The Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta was serving as a training ship at that point. When in 1880, she disappeared with her entire crew after setting sail from the Royal Navy dockyard in Bermuda for Falmouth, England, 
on January 31st, 1880. It was presumed that she sank in a powerful storm, which crossed her route a couple of weeks after she sailed. The search for evidence of her fate attracted worldwide attention, and the Admiralty received more than 150 telegrams and 200 personal calls from anxious friends and relatives after it was announced that the ship went missing and possibly lost. That would be the worst time to be that to have that job. Just being constantly people like freaking out about where their family members have went. I can't imagine that was not stressful. Yeah, you can't drag it to like the like the recycle bin or anything. You got to actually like go yeah, one yeah, by you one. You got to actually listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, investigation of the ship's loss was eventually rendered dip was actually rendered difficult by the lack of any survivors. But one former member of her crew, able seaman John Varling, testified that he had found her exceedingly crank as being overweight. She rolled 32 degrees and Captain Sterling is reported as having been heard to remark that she had rolled one degree more, uh, that had she rolled one degree more, she must have gone over and foundered. The young sailors were either too timid to go aloft or were incapacitated by seasickness. Varling states that they hid themselves away and could not be found when wanted by the boatswain's mate. I mean, this sure does sound like it's obvious what happened here. Isn't it like that's 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 the point of these stories is like if you look into them, it's pretty fucking obvious as to what happened to most of (laughs) the journals like, man, we almost flipped over and died. One more thing. I hope that doesn't happen again. It would kill all of us if it happened. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go to bed (laughs) (laughs) uh, off on the sea. We'll be fine. Um, This actually kind of goes to something Jesse has said on the show many, many, many times. The reason people are so easily. Oh, Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. Is that because there is the all the investigations came up bunk, they never really could figure it out. It opens that sliver of a crack for conspiracy theories mm-hmm. to slither their way in Ugh. and fill the hole with whatever they want. So a lot of gross words all together really quickly. <laughs> slither and hole. I mean, yeah, man, just, these moist conspiracy oh, theories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you think of your typical conspiracy theorist, though, doesn't he kind of look moist in your mind? I'm certainly very moist right now. (laughs) (laughs) You can take that however you want to take it. The continuation of that thought is if you are, say, the Royal Navy and you put out like, well, it probably sunk, period. But we don't know. You've moved on. You go about your life. But like someone who's in like in the conspiracy they now are constantly doing the conspiracy over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So eventually that becomes the story because yeah, it becomes yeah, super people updating information are those who are like, it really was the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, it, yeah, it's the it's the dot, dot, dot question mark at the very end of the title card. That's the mm-hmm. that's what people love to they love to, to latch on to that. And when you've got a when you got something that's so, so kind of open to interpretation, like the Bermuda Triangle, it, it just invites all kinds of fun stuff to hear yeah, about it. It's Bermuda Triangle is such a fun thing to talk about, I think, because it's one of those, you know, elementary school's first conspiracy theory. So there's a lot you can look at and see, like how conspiracy kind of got to where it is yeah. now just from going back here. Um, yeah, it, it's it's nuts that what people are willing to kind of fill into the hole and, and, and like make make it about something it's not. But I think something that we've never really said or maybe we've only talked about a couple of times is like people do this. The people the reason people are latch on to conspiracy theories is because to them, it helps them make sense of a world that doesn't make sense to them. Mm-hmm. If they can just latch onto something that this must be the reason or this must be the reason, then the earth isn't chaos. And, you know, there is a purpose and it's not just random bad things happening and you're safe and you 
You have a reason, because if you don't have that reason, then you're left with the harsh reality that the world doesn't give a shit about you. The world is going to go on. It's going to be it's chaotic and random bad things can and do happen all the, the time. existential terror of being alive that I tell that was I talking yeah, about literally. this last time on this show. I am on so many. I talking to so many microphones these days. I am I getting old. Uh, one time my cat <laughs> got out of my house and uh, he ran out of the door and he only got four steps down the stairs before he froze with the utter weight of the entire just yeah. overwhelming <laughs> earth and world and existence around him. Just the sheer insanity of it just crushed him into place. And I was just able to like go pick him up and take him back in, in the house. Yeah. Indoor cats think they want to be outdoor cats until they get outdoors. And then they're horrified. And cat owners um, think they want to be cat walkers until the, your, their cat slithers out of the leash and runs four blocks away. <laughs> but the fascinating, interesting thing is that once you take the initial step and Yo, push done. past the fear, it's so easy there. You are now in another world and you it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you were like, oh, I can't wait to explore. It doesn't mean it's not dangerous. It doesn't mean weird stuff that you can't control doesn't happen, but it does mean you're now more willing to accept things. And I think yes. that. You know, when you're stuck in your house as that cat, for example, everything makes sense because, you know, the house and then like you can make up your like, oh, well, when the light goes out, that's because the, the sun, but like, you know, just some dude turn yeah. out the light, like that kind of thing. And then once you go outside, like there's layers. And I think that, you know, the Jesse version of this is like science will help you understand. <laughs> yeah. Those layers. Yeah, I agree. And I know it can be scary to think about like what the world is, but I mean, like it's so I love conspiracy theories as next to the, as much as the next person. I find them extremely fun and they're entertaining. And you know, there's always that element of what if, but as long as you keep that distance, then I think it's fun to do conspiracy theories. Like you said, Jesse said, as soon as you take the step and buy it wholesale, it's such a quick path to horrible, dark places that you don't want to be. <laughs> it's just not where you want to be. Basically well, I mean, what we're saying right. is check out QAnon. It's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Good lord. I mean, it's also Please it's God. just like it's just like the dog chasing the tire. Like, what do he do when he catches when he actually catches the the car? You know, it's like yeah, yeah I mean, you got it now. Like now, what? Yeah, conspiracy exactly. theories <laughs> and all that stuff are are only based in the chase. Yeah, yep. It is like you do not, as a conspiracy theorist, you do not win when you solve it. Correct. Once I it's mean, solved, you're like, it's done. So you the, always are like, there's more to it. There's another level. Yeah, especially if things. you are a YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, you can make that money. Um, yeah. no, a great example is when the flat earthers proved themselves wrong and still didn't swallow it and, and still had to find a new way to explain when what's going on. dude shot it's himself just, up into the air and died. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my yes, God. that's right. <laughs> I shouldn't but laugh. I shouldn't laugh at somebody's death, but like, oh no, man, but the guys, unbelievable if I, if poetry ever, of it. You need to make me a promise. If I ever get to the point where I come out of this podcast, I'm like, guys, I'm going to build my own ship and I'm going to go get to the aliens myself. You got to like put me in a cell. But it's going like, to hit you with a blackjack over the so, head. And I'm, I'm not putting you in a yeah, cell. Just, I'm getting a camera and putting a bunch of <laughs> tripods everywhere just to watch yeah, you. YouTube. Go. YouTube. Yeah. yeah. You got to make that content. Yeah. It's like, you do that and I'll start my own version of QAnon where it's just like John Delancey worship. Jay and I'm like, have you oh. heard the message of Q? Do you know what Q is about? <laughs> Are you aware of John Delancey? Check because out that man can act. What do you think of this hat? 
Jesse making his pamphlets already. <laughs> I know this is just an audio podcast, but we can all see the hat, right? I, maybe not Jesse. Yeah. He can't picture shit like that, but everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, the last bit about the HMS Juno is another one of those nail in the coffins. That it, again, why is it even a mystery to some people? Uh, while we don't know the exact circumstances around the the Junos or the at this point the Atlanta's disappearance, a gunboat by the name of Avon, which arrived in Portsmouth on April nineteenth from the Chile station, reported quote that at the Azores she noticed immense quantities of wreckage floating about. In fact, the sea was strewn with spars. Beautiful. Uh, two days later, so just straight up found wreckage Just love like the poetry of the line on found that. wreckage the sea was strewn with uh, spars i like that uh, strewn with spars like uh, 1880s two days later amid mounting concern that the loss of the ship might have been prevented had her crew not been so inexperienced because remember it was a training ship the times then editorialized quote there can be no sunken wreck with just ha- just the bow above water was sighted at and they give the the coordinates on september 14th by german brig w von frieden it was thought that this could have been the wreck of the Atlanta. And that's kind of like where that mystery, in my opinion, ends. It feels like we have an answer to it. But because the official position on it at that time and really hasn't changed is we don't really know, then people have been able to jump into that. Um, we're going to cover Flight 19, but this is like we're, we're talking way longer than I thought we were about some of these things. So let me do one more ship disappearance before we go to Flight 19. The disappearance of the Carol A. Uh, Deering. This is a ship that was built in Bath, Maine in 1919 by GG, by the GG Deering Company for commercial use. So it was a commercial ship. Um, the owner of the company named the ship after his son. One of the last large commercial sailing vessels, the ship was designed to carry cargo and had been in service for a year when it began its final voyage to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. On July 19th, 1920, the Nidiring sailing from Puerto, Puerto Rico arrived at Newport News to pick up a cargo of coal for delivery to Rio de Janeiro. The ship was captained by William H. Merritt. Merritt was a hero of World War I who had been cited for bravery under fire for saving his entire crew when his previous command, the Deering-built five-masted schooner Dorothy B. Barrett, was sunk by the German submarine U-117 off Cape May, New Jersey in 1918. So he was he did a really good job, I guess, just taking over Merritt's son, Sewell, S-E-W-A-L-L. I don't know how you would say that because nobody is named that anymore. Sewell? I don't. Yeah, maybe. I don't. Dude, that's uh, I'm sorry to anyone with that name. I wish I could. That's a 1919 name. I wish I could represent for you, dudes. Yeah, that was Merritt's son. Sewell was his first mate and he had had a 10 man crew made up entirely of Scandinavians, mostly Danes. On August 26, 1920, the Deering cleared the Virginia Capes bound for Rio, but Captain Merritt soon fell seriously ill, and the Deering turned back and put into the port of Luz, Delaware, to drop off Merritt and his son. The Deering Company recruited Captain Willis B. Warmel, a retired 66-year-old veteran sea captain, to replace him on the voyage to Brazil. Charles B. McClellan was hired on as first mate. The Deering with Wormel in command set sail for Rio on September 8th, 1920, arriving there and delivering its cargo without incident. Wormel gave his crew leave and met with Captain Goodwin, an old friend who captained another cargo vessel that was docked in Rio. Wormel spoke of his crew with disdain, though he claimed to trust the engineer Herbert Bates, whom Goodwin was acquainted with. 
The Deering left Rio on December 2nd, 1920 and stopped for supplies in Barbados. First mate McClellan got drunk in town and complained to Captain Hugh Norton of the snow that he could not discipline the crew without Wormel interfering and that he had to do all the navigating owing to Wormel's poor eyesight. I mean, they did hire a 66-year-old retired sea captain. It really as the makes new you wonder what <laughs> may have happened aboard the ship. <laughs> right. <laughs> Later, Captain Norton, his first mate, and another captain were in the Continental Cafe and heard McClellan say, quote, I'll get the captain before we get to Norfolk, I will. I swear to fucking God, this ship is going to crash. If I don't, it's what? (laughs) However, McClellan was arrested in a drunken state. But on January 9th, Wormel forgave him, bailed him out of jail and set sail for Hampton Roads. The ship was next sighted by the Cape Lookout lightship off North Carolina on January 28, 1921, when the Deering hailed it. The lightship's keeper, Captain Jacobson, reported that a tall, thin man with reddish hair and a foreign accent speaking through a megaphone told him the vessel had lost its anchors in a storm off Cape Fear and asked that the ship's owners, the GG Deering Company, be notified. A megaphone? Yeah, it's 1921, baby. They're just like, megaphone. hey, just so you know, <laughs> this is the news. <laughs> this is the news, see? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to communicate when you're on a ship <laughs> <in> far away. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. Um, Jacobson took note of this, but his radio was out, so he was unable to report it to the Deering Company. He also noticed that the crew seemed to be milling around on the quarter deck of the ship, an area where they were not usually allowed. The following afternoon, the crew of another vessel transiting the area spotted the Deering sailing a course that would take it directly onto the Diamond Shoals. Uh, Do you guys know what the Diamond Shoals are? No. They are infamous for always for as being an always shifting cluster of shallow underwater sandbars that extend eight miles out from Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, hidden beneath the waves and constantly changing in both form and depth. And that's where the the Deering ship was sailing directly towards. This is just a perfect recipe for disaster. An an old man captain, a first mate who hates him. And And shifting sandbars eight miles long. Yeah, what could go wrong? What's the problem? Any one of those things (laughs) alone could also sink the ship. Uh, They, however, saw no one on the ship's decks and didn't attempt to hail the the schooner, assuming her crew would spot the Cape Hatteras lighthouse or the Diamond Shoals lightship and change course to avoid wrecking on the shoals. We don't know if they did or didn't, but let's find out what we know next. On January 31st, 1921, the Deering was sighted at dawn by surfman C.P. Brady, who was on lookout duty at the Coast Guard station at Cape Hatteras. The vessel was hard aground with all sails set on the outer edge of of the Diamond Shoals. These shoals that extended offshore from Cape Hatteras have been notorious as a common site of shipwrecks for centuries and are known as the Graveyard of the Atlantic. Which that's is not, not a, place not a like. good name, period. Talk <laughs> about bad yeah. PR. That's it right there. <laughs> I love it's like they and if that other ship had at least tried to contact them, they may have been able to avoid this altogether. If this is what happened, which I have um, this like a very high probability it is. Rescue ships were unable to approach the vessel owing to bad weather. The ship was not boarded until February 4th after being battered by the surf for sea day uh, for several days 
and it became clear that the schooner had been completely abandoned. So when they went on the ship, the crew was gone. No crew. Her steering equipment was found to be damaged with the wheel shattered, the the binacle box stove in, and the rudder disengaged from its stock. The ship's log and navigation, navigation equipment were gone, along with the crew's personal effects and the ship's two lifeboats. In the vessel's galley, it appeared that certain foodstuffs were being prepared for the next day's meal at the time of the abandonment. The Coast Guard cutter Manning attempted to salvage the Deering, but found it impossible. The vessel was declared a hazard to navigation and was destroyed using dynamite on that on March 4th to prevent it from becoming a danger to other vessels. A portion of the ship's bow later drifted ashore on uh, Ocracoke Island. Wooden timbers from the wreck also washed ashore on Hatteras Island and were used by local residents to build houses. I hope I get so fucked up that somebody blows me up with dynamite. <laughs> Just destroy. I mean, that would have been fun. That would have been a fun day on the job, man. If you're out there on the ship getting to watch it blow the ship blow up, it'd be worth a good working time. there every other day that you work there just for that day. Real talk. It really would be. I would have loved to just be able to watch that. Um, so the real mystery here, again, isn't necessarily the ship, but the crew all disappeared. Now, granted, they took lifeboats out and it's clearly they abandoned the ship. Uh, but there was an investigation. The U.S. government launched an extensive investigation into the disappearance of the crew. Five departments of the government, Commerce, Treasury, Justice, Navy and State looked into the case. Herbert Hoover, then Secretary of Commerce, was intrigued by the fact that several other vessels of various nationalities, most notably the sulfur freighter Hewitt, had also disappeared in roughly the same area. Although most of these vessels were later revealed to have been sailing in the vicinity uh, of a series of particularly powerful hurricanes, the Hewing, I know. They were revealed to each be having three ticking bombs on board. (laughs) (laughs) The Hewitt and Deering were proven to have been sailing away from the area of the storm at the time. Hoover's assistant, Lawrence Ritchie, was placed in charge of the investigation, and Ritchie tried to chart what happened to the vessel between its last sighting at Cape Lookout and its running aground at the Diamond Shoals by reading the logbooks of the Coast Guard lightship stationed in those areas. When an Italian inquiry into the disappearance of the vessel Monte San Michel confirmed that there had been strong hurricanes in the vicinity, mutiny was then accepted as the explanation for the Deering incident which would come together with the first mate not liking the captain. The investigation was closed in late 1922 with zero official finding of the incident, therefore leaving that open for conspiracy theorists to fill in. Worse is like, you know, of course, people people attribute the government to lying. They don't want you to know what actually happened to them. They don't want you to know what actually happened in Bermuda Triangle. They, maybe they got abducted by aliens and there was like evidence there, you know, that kind of nonsense. Yeah, I just, I just don't understand where, how, how, how does it reach such fanatical belief about something that seems so black and white on paper, then you're going to try to attribute to something, some sort of weird conspiracy alien magic sort of happening. Like, I don't understand where that seeps yeah, where's itself the into weird this. Thing? Where's so, the weird thing? Where's the, the, yeah. the weird thing actually first showed up in 1931. The disappearance of the ship's crew had been cited by innumerable authors dealing with anomalous phenomena and the supernatural. Mm. Charles Fort had a book called Low, written in 1931, first mentioning this vessel in a mysterious context and many subsequent chroniclers of sea mysteries then followed suit. Since this vessel sailed in the area generally considered to be part of the so-called Bermuda Triangle, the disappearance of the crew was has often been tied to the fact. Again, it's, they, somebody immediately saw a way to 
fluff up a story, sell something. And he did. And that just that was the first seed. Right. To plant the conspiracy that would then grow decades upon yeah, decades. You have to and consider upon the decades. source, though, of, of who finally. So, yeah, see, if you ask conspiracy theorists, what's the source? Uh, right. You don't really get a straight answer. Right. I, I need to stress when you said possible hurricanes in the area. I just want to, like, make sure everyone is aware. Up until, I don't know, the last hundred, maybe 120 years, were we even attempting to, like, understand hurricane weather. So there during, like, that Bermuda Triangle area, when you see hurricanes, like, on the news, the Weather Channel, whatever, you can go look up, like, hurricane paths right now. When they, before they hit Florida and Louisiana and Texas, they go right through that area mm-hmm. every single time. Mm-hmm. That's the path of, and so numerous storms every year always happen there. Then add on to the fact that that is where the Gulf Stream is. And for those of you listening who don't know what the Gulf Stream is, imagine an underwater river that is like almost six miles an hour. Yeah. But a river underwater, super fast. <sighs> it's why the hurricanes blow through that area. And so if anything sinks, it doesn't just sink. It gets swept away in an underwater river. And then (laughs) there's all the islands in the area. And any, uh, you know, if you're off track, if you're knocked anywhere, you can hit rocks. You can hit whatever. Like there's so many ways to sink Mm -hmm. in that area that like I'd be more worried about those things than like the UFO (laughs) that came and got me, you know? Right. I just want like like list like the list of things that could have sank these dudes is huge. Yeah. Hurricanes, diamond shoals, bad captain, angry first mate, mutiny, piracy. Like there's so many things that could have taken these guys down. But again, right in like four or five years later or whatever, they're already making, you know, stories about what it paranormally it's too, what it could it's be. too cool. It's yeah. just it's too, too cool, cool of a prospect, unfortunately. Yeah, it everyone loves the imagination. Yeah. It makes yeah, it you does. think like, what if? Yeah. Yeah. And then and now you got these days you think about, you know, you, you hear it being attributed to like electric, like, oh, there's electromagnetic pulses there or they're or they, they got methane gases that that, that right. kind of come out of the out of the water and that that messes with instrumentation, all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, then that's and those are also great boogeymen as well because you can't see them. You can't physically see that stuff happen. So right. it's like, well, it's, all, it's all, just all we complicated know, enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's just complicated enough to where the layman is not going to understand what that means when there was a methane gas release or something like that from underwater. All they see is a, as a or they hear about or, or reports about of an airplane just mysteriously just falling for no reason. at All no missile was shot. No one bailed out or anything like that. Just a, a plane falls in the water. It's got to be something crazy that happens over there. Yep. That's always how it goes. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And uh, but we're, we're talking about plane, the plane one right now, actually. But this will be the last one uh, that we cover on this episode. Guys, if you want more and you're really intrigued by these, there this are is surprisingly freaking. interesting in a like different way than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Again, when I was doing because the, they're because it's it's one of those it's one of those topics where if you even try to crack the service a little bit, the truth is just kind of right there. Like, it's not far. You don't have to look hard to see, like, why or what's going if you on. Want to know what, yeah, give you, if you want to know what an Alex episode is, like, in terms of research, it's just doing that, like, 100 times before you find anything interesting. <laughs> like, every cool thing is, like, not actually cool on the Internet. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. tell you that I'm living there for, for 10 years. We saw, going back to what Jesse said, it... You see hurricanes, man. I've seen huge, huge hurricanes blow through there. I mean, there there is, like... 
during the summertime months and when you in, if you're in, from Bermuda, it, there's you, you just hunker down. It's just like, yeah, we got another one coming. No school today. Just, you know, hold out hope Whoa. that uh, that, the, that these that these buildings can take it because yeah, you have to remember there's no. Back, back in the 80s there's no there's no wooden structures it's all it's all limestone sandstone right. stuff so you know they are built to withstand these are hardy hardy people the and the, and and they know how to build houses we didn't right. have any um like like just to give you an example our water that we had was not from any kind of of centralized purification plants or anything like that we drank rainwater we flushed the toilet with rainwater and there was we had we had wells underneath the uh, underneath the uh, the houses and the foundations and stuff. We had to purify it with tablets, that sort of thing. But that's like, damn, that is what we wild. that's what we had to had to live through back back then. And it's not like we have, you know, the sophisticated weather systems or anything like that. Now, it's just like, yeah, a hurricane's coming. I mean, of course, we had radar. There was a NASA station there and everything like that. It wasn't like Bermuda yeah, wasn't imagine. like third world by any means. Stretch imagination. But it, we're not talking about Houston either, though. You know, so yeah, it, so those hurricanes when they when when they blow in, they would come in hard, and you would always hear about ships going down. You know, airplanes having to ha- having to navigate around the entire area of where of of what's now known as the Bermuda Triangle, that sort of thing. So, you know, all kinds of stories could could happen from there. But you know, the the hurricane season in Bermuda was just an absolute nightmare. Um, sounds especially as a kid. Worse. Yeah, it sounds worse than a fucking UFO coming. Yeah, yeah way I, worse. I, I prefer a UFO to show up. Yeah, luckily, again, l- luckily there was no huge loss of life uh, when when I was living there anyway, and structural damage wasn't too bad. Um, but it's again those those houses that are there. If you if you just Google image search any any type of Bermudian house, you'll see it, it's all it's all white roofs with with slots in them. That's how we that's how we gathered water. That like there's there's little, there's little slits in the in the roof that water permeates oh, down. Yeah, and trickles I totally down through. see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, Every that's how we house. got water. So these houses are built to withstand huge storms, but the ships, on the other hand, are not. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's no, fucking beautiful all. there. What the hell? And, oh, and yeah, it's, it's it's heaven on earth. I, I I wish I could go back home. It's man. like an RPG town. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's interesting again, going back to what Matha said earlier, is that it's much easier. And I know this sounds crazy, but it's much easier for people to accept uh, like either malevolent or benevolent alien force or like some paranormal thing rather than the complete randomness of being caught in the wrong place, the wrong time of a hurricane or bad weather. And just like shit happens. It's much easier to be like, no, this is clearly something else because there's there, you know, the human brain is built to form patterns. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. if we see all these things, we're like, there must be something else rather than just like, yo, sometimes terrible stuff happens. And like, yeah, that sucks, dude. Well, and like when we're talking about explanations, we'll talk about that pattern. And if there even is a pattern at all. Um, but as always, at the end of the episode, in typical Mathis fashion, I'll leave you with a little bit of a maybe paranormal oh, thought. Yeah, got to leave it there. You know? All right. For the last one, we're going to talk about Flight 19. Flight 19 was the designation of a group of five General Motors Eastern Aircraft Division TBM Avenger torpedo bombers that ended up disappearing over the Bermuda Triangle on December 5th, 1945, after losing contact with a United States Navy overwater navigation training flight from Naval Air Station, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This is a good one, Jesse. Pay attention. 
All I'm aware of it. It's the best one. <laughs> it is the best one. It's the one that I that I heard of as a kid, too. Yeah. All 14 airmen on the flight were lost, as were all 13 crew members of a Martin PBM Mariner flying boat that subsequently launched from Naval Air Station Banana River to search for Flight 19. So the thing that even went out looking for him disappeared. A report by Navy uh, investigators concluded that flight leader Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor mistook small islands offshore for the Florida Keys after his compass stopped working, resulting in the flight heading over open sea and away from land. The report was later amended by the Navy to read, uh, to read, quote, case unknown to avoid blaming Taylor for the loss of five aircraft and 14 men. We'll go through the whole thing, however, and it's, it's interesting because Bermuda Triangle is one of the only places where true north and magnetic north line up and it actually screws with compasses mm-hmm. in, in areas there. So that it would immediately explain for why their compasses would have been acting weirdly there. So Flight 19 undertook a re- uh, routine navigation and combat training exercise in TBM type aircraft. The assignment was called Navigation Problem Number One. Very exciting name. A combination of bombing and navigation, which other flights had completed and were scheduled to undertake that day. The flight leader was United States uh, Navy Lieutenant Charles Carroll Taylor, who had about 2,500 hours in flying, mostly in aircraft of this type, while his trainee pilots had about 300 total and 60 flight hours in the Avenger. Taylor had completed a combat tour in the Pacific Theater as torpedo bomber pilot on the aircraft USS Hancock and had recently arrived in uh, arrived from NAS Miami, where he had also been a VTB, which is a torpo- torpedo bombing plane instructor. The student pilots had recently completed other training missions in the area uh, where the flight was to take place. They were U.S. Marine Captains Edward Joseph Powers and George William Stivers, U.S. Marine Second Lieutenant Forrest James Gerber, and USN Ensign Joseph Tipton Bossy. Their call sign started with Fox Tear. F-O-X-T-A-R-E. The aircraft were three TBM-1Cs, which is the bombers, one TBM-1E, and one TBM-3. Each aircraft was a version of the the Grumman TBF Avenger, built by General Motors Eastern Aircraft Division under wartime production license. Under the U.S. Navy aircraft designation system used during World War II, Grumman-built Avengers were designated TBF, and GM-built aircraft such as these were designed, designed a designated TBM. Each was fully fueled, and during pre-flight checks, it was discovered they were all missing clocks. Navigation of the route was intended to teach dead reckoning principles, which involved calculating, among other things, elapsed, uh, elapsed time. So they were just they were being put to the test. The apparent lack of timekeeping equipment was not a cause for concern, as it was assumed each man had his own watch. Takeoff was scheduled for 1,345 hours local time, but the late arrival of Taylor delayed departure until 1410. Weather at at NAS Fort Lauderdale was described as, quote, favorable sea state moderate to rough. Taylor was supervising the mission, and a trainee pilot had the role of leader out front. Called the Navy Air Station... uh, uh, called Navy Air Station, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, navigation problem number one, the exercise, which is just a fucking boring name for a god. Like, can you be like Operation Bomb Training would be more fun than that. The exercise involved three different legs, but the actual flight should have flown four. After takeoff, they flew on a heading of ni- uh, 091 degrees, which is almost uh, due east for 56 uh, nautical miles, which is 64 <laughs> miles. 
until reaching Hen and Chicken Shoals, where low-level bombing practice was carried out. The flight was to continue on that heading for another 67 nautical miles, 77 R miles, before turning onto a course of 346 degrees for uh, for 84 miles in the process over flying Grand Bahama Island. The next scheduled turn was to a heading of 240 degrees to fly uh, 140 miles, at the end of which the exercise was completed and the Avengers would turn left to then return to NAS Fort Lauderdale. Radio conversations between the pilots were overheard by base and other aircraft in the area. The practice bombing operation is known to have been carried out because at about 1500, a pilot requested and was given permission to drop his last bomb. 40 minutes later, another flight instructor, Lieutenant Robert F. Cox uh, in FT-74, who was forming up with his group of students for the same mission, received an unidentified transmission. An unidentified crew member asked Powers, one of the students, for his compass reading. Powers replied, quote, I don't know where we are. We must have got lost after that last turn. Cox transmitted, this is FT-74, plane or boat calling Powers. Please identify yourself so someone can come help you. The response after a few moments was a request from the others in the flight for suggestions. FT-74 tried again, and a man identified as FT-28, who would be Taylor, came on. FT-28, this is FT-74, what is your trouble? Both my compasses are out, Taylor replied, and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm over land, but it's broken. I am sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. FT-74 informed the NAS that aircraft were lost, then advised Taylor to put the sun on his port wing and fly north up the coast to Fort Lauderdale. Base operations then asked if the flight leader's aircraft was equipped with a standard YG, which is an identify friend or foe transmitter, which could be used to triangulate the flight's position. But the message message was not acknowledged by FT-28. Later, he would indicate that his his transmitter was activated. Instead, at 1645, FT-28 radioed, quote, We are heading 030 degrees for 45 minutes. Then we will fly north to make sure we are not over the Gulf of Mexico. This time, uh, during this time, no bearings could be made on the flight, and IFF could not be picked up. Taylor was told, uh, was told to broadcast on uh, 4,805 kilohertz. This order was not acknowledged, so he was asked to switch to 3,000 kilohertz, the search and rescue frequency. Taylor replied, I cannot switch frequencies. I must keep my plane intact. At 1656, Taylor was again asked to turn on his transmitter for for YG if he had one. He did not acknowledge, but a few minutes later advised his flight, quote, change course to 090 degrees due east for 10 minutes. About the same time, someone in the flight said, quote, damn it, if we could just fly west, we would get home. Head west, damn it. This is like a movie, dude. This is crazy. It is really wild. I'm not going to say, look, this is my favorite story from Bermuda Triangle, and more importantly, the one you should have led with. Just putting it out there. Oh, wow. This no, is, the, the this is a legit mystery. This yeah, is like really good. Yeah, fight, you end on a strong yeah, fight, note. Fight 19 is, is very infamous. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. 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 Wait till part two of this episode. We'll <laughs> 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 see you next time, everybody. <laughs> uh, this difference of opinion later led to questions about why the students did not simply head west on their own. It has been explained that this can be attributed to military discipline. As the, as the weather deteriorated, radio contact became intermittent, and it was believed that the five aircraft by this point were more than t- uh, 230 miles out to sea east of the Florida Peninsula. Taylor radioed, quote, we'll fly 270 degrees west until landfall or running out of gas, and requested a weather check at 1724. 
1750, several land-based radio stations had triangulated Flight 19's position as being within 120 miles, a radius of 29 degrees north, 79 degrees west. Flight 19 was north of the Bahamas and well off the coast of central Florida, but nobody transmitted this information on an open, repetitive basis. In 18, at 18.04, Taylor radioed to his flight, quote, holding 270, we didn't fly far enough east, we may as well just turn around and fly east again. By that time, the weather had deteriorated even more and the sun had set. Around 1820, Taylor's last message was received. It's also been reported that Taylor's last message was received at 1904, not 1820. So there's a discrepancy in time. He was heard saying, quote, all planes close up tight. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. And that was the last transmission that they got. Jesus Christ. That's so good. It's, yeah, it's so it's, good. It's wild. Uh, as it became obvious the flight was lost, air bases, aircraft, and merchant ships were alerted. A, cons- a consolidated PBY Catalina departed after 1800 to search for Flight 19 and guide them back if they could be located. After dark, two Martin PBM Mariner flying boats originally scheduled for their own training flights were diverted to perform square pattern searches in the west, uh, in the area to west of 29 North, 79 West. U.S. Navy Squadron Training 49, PBM-5, took off at 1927 from the Naval Air Station Banana River, called in a routine radio message at 1930, and then was never heard from again. Mm -hmm. At 21.15, the tanker SS Gaines Mills reported it it had observed flames from an apparent explosion leaping 100 feet uh, high and burning for 10 minutes, at position 28.59 west, north, 80.25 west. So really close to the last uh, messages, uh, the last location received by Taylor. Captain Shona Stanley reported unsuccessfully searching for survivors through a pool of oil and aviation gasoline. The escort carrier USS Solomons also reported losing radar contact with an aircraft at the same position and time. So there is a little evidence as to where they were and where they kind of went down. Yeah. But a 500 page Navy board of investigation report published a few months later made several observations. One flight leader, Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, had mistakenly believed that the small islands he passed over were the Florida Keys, that his flight was over the Gulf of Mexico and that heading northeast would take them to Florida. It was determined that Taylor had passed over the Bahamas as scheduled, and he did, in fact, lead his flight to the northeast over the Atlantic. The report noted that some subordinate officers did likely know their approximate position, as indicated by radio transmissions, stating that flying west would result in reaching the mainland. Two, Taylor was not at fault because the compasses stopped working. And three, the loss of PBM-5 Buno was attributed to an explosion. This report was subsequently amended to cause unknown, as stated earlier, by the Navy after Taylor's, uh, Taylor's mother contended that the Navy was unfairly blaming her son for the loss of five aircraft and 14 men when the Navy had neither the bodies nor the airplanes as evidence. And thus is the first crack of conspiracy. The mother herself didn't want to believe what likely happened happened. But at flight not, yeah, yeah. There is so much good stuff here. And, oh, and yeah. like what the mystery is of this thing that it's still this is one of those ones that captures the imagination because it's like they sent people 
They, mm-hmm. Like the government was looking for these dudes. It was like an all hands. People were trying to find them. But, you know, again, if you think about it, they were probably looking in the wrong place. And that's why no one yeah. found them. But like, it's a fascinating story because they were talking to them and then they were gone. Yeah. And that's, yep. you know, it captures the imagination. And the the people who were sent to go find them also disappeared. That's yeah, the, that's, that's, that's the thing. That adds on to it. It's just like the people immediately were never seen from yeah, and well, again. You, all you need to do is when you go flying, if you've ever flown over the ocean or any body of water, body of water at night, if you look out the window, you tell me what up and down is. It can get real psychedelic out there for yeah, real. You tell me where the like water is and where the sky, like it's all black. Go, it's, yeah, go yeah. check on uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's on Game Pass now. You have no excuse. Dude, <laughs> it's, it was the, the scariest flights for me were international. Always being over the ocean. In, at night, like you said, too, it's so oh, fucking yeah. scary. You can't see anything. It's so scary. Yeah, the, the people who believe that's like, oh, well, you know, they just look at the map going back to what we said like an hour ago. It's like, yeah, it doesn't look all that big. It's like, dude, you've never been over the ocean before. It, yeah, it, man. it is. It is the void it, at nighttime, I, especially it is the void. Yeah. I remember having thoughts of being like when I was flying for the first time internationally being like, how are we still over the ocean? That don't doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. Like, how are we still over um, the ocean? Now imagine the Pacific. Yeah. It's even, even bigger. scary. Even it's bigger. even bigger. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Yep. Uh, hadn't okay back to the flight 19 <laughs> uh, had flight 19 actually been where Taylor believed it to be. The flight would have made landfall with the Florida coastline within 20 minutes, depending on how far down they were. However, a later reconstruction of the incident showed that the islands visible to Taylor were probably the Bahamas, well northeast of the Keys, and that Flight 19 was exactly where it should have been. The Board of Investigation found that because of of his belief that he was on a base course toward Florida, Taylor actually guided the flight farther northeast and out to sea. Further, it was general knowledge at NAS Fort Lauderdale that if a pilot ever became lost in the area to fly, to fly a heading of 270, 270 degrees due west, that by the time the flight actually turned west, they were likely so far out to sea, they had already passed their aircraft's fuel endurance. So if he's already saying he has to turn that much, there it was just, it's over. Yeah. They have not, they won't have enough fuel to get there. Yeah, and it didn't, fact, it didn't help that the compasses were also rendered useless due to the, yep. due to the geolocation of where they were. Yep. Uh, this factor combined with bad weather and the ditching characteristics of the uh, of the Avenger meant that there was little hope of rescue, even if they had managed to stay afloat. It is possible that Taylor overshot Gorda K and instead reached another landmass in the southern Abaco Islands. He then proceeded northwest as planned. He fully expected to find the Grand Bahama Island lying in front of him as expected. Instead, he eventually saw a landmass to his right side, the northern part of Abaco Island. Believing that this landmass to his right was the Grand Bahama Island and his compass was malfunctioning, he set a course to what he thought was southwest to head straight back to Fort Lauderdale. However, in reality, this changed uh, his course farther northwest toward open ocean. To further add to this conf- to his confusion, he encountered a series of islands north of Abaco Island, which look very similar to the Key West Islands. The control tower then suggested that Taylor's team should fly west which would have taken them to the landmass of Florida eventually. Taylor headed to uh, for what he thought was west, but in reality was northwest, also parallel to Florida. After trying that for a while and with no land in sight, Taylor decided that it was impossible for them to fly so far west and not reach Florida. He believed that he might have been near the Key, Key West Islands. What followed was a series of serious conversations between Taylor, 
his other air crew and the control tower. Taylor was not sure whether he was near Bahama or Key West, and he was not sure which direction he faced due to compass malfunction. The control tower informed Taylor that he could not be in Key West since the wind that day did not blow that way. Some of the air crew believed that their compass was working. Taylor then set a course northeast according to their compass, which should, have, uh, which should take them to Florida if they were in Key West. When that failed, Taylor set a course west according to their compass, which should have taken them to Florida if they were in Bahama. If Taylor stayed this course, he would have reached land before running out of fuel. However, at some point, Taylor decided that he had tried enough, uh, tried going west enough. He then once again set a course northeast, thinking they were near Key West after all. Finally, his flight would run out of fuel and may have crashed into the ocean somewhere north of Abaco Island in the east of Florida. But we don't know. This is all conjecture, piecing together what little information they have uh, and where locations were pinged and assuming this is kind of like the path it took. There was um, there was wreckage found in 1986 that was mistaken for Flight 19, uh, but it was not uh, Flight 19 they discovered later on. And Flight 19 would further kind of push its myth when it was included in the 1977 science fiction film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the guys they yeah. brought back. Yep. Uh, yeah, discovered from the yeah, You've right. seen yeah, it. Yeah. You know yeah, that. I have. I've seen that movie. Um, but that... You know, more or less is the Flight 19 disappearance over, uh, again, the Bermuda Triangle. While definitely more mysterious than the others, there still feels like there's enough evidence to kind of piece together a, a likely or logical scenario that happened to them. And it's tragic. And it's just but it was just their compasses weren't working. They were all torn on where they thought they were. And when things got bad, they were it was already too late. And if they were where everybody thought they were, what's worse is to think like even if they started going back, they were dead. Well, they were done. The reason why this one also is so popular is because there's so many different there's so many other more complicated moving parts in the story because not only is it's Mm -hmm. not just one person, it's a it's a whole squadron of planes. On top of that, the people who were sent to go search for them also disappeared. Then you also have the mysterious explosion. That still yes. no one has any any explanation for whatsoever, whether it's spontaneously combusted or there was a, a, an attack or, you know, something something mm-hmm. happened uh, to uh, to that ship. And that and all of that sort of just it, it feeds into each other and it just makes and mutates. And next thing you know, mm-hmm. you got this huge, giant movie that you're able to make out of it. And you know, people yeah. people are off to the races with it. You're one thousand percent correct. Now we get to the fun part. Let's talk a little bit about. What is likely going on in the Bermuda Triangle (laughs) after some research and uh, thanks to Larry Cush and his book as well and uh, all the work he ended up doing to really kind of try to figure out what the fuck the Bermuda Triangle is about. So we're just going to talk about a few of the points and uh, we'll wrap up the episode. So the big first one is that when he was out there looking and studying about not only the ships and missing gear disappearances of the Bermuda Triangle, he widened his scope. He looked at other parts of the ocean to really see if Bermuda Triangle was had a higher pattern of things going missing than other parts of the world where things typically travel quite a lot. And what he discovered was that the uh, ships and aircraft reported missing in the area was not significantly greater, proportionally speaking, than in any other part of the Mm. ocean. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, In an area frequented by tropical cyclones, the number of disappearances that did occur were, for the most part, Neither disproportionate, unlikely, nor mysterious. Not a great start. It just, 
<clears throat> not a good start. Yeah, it, it, it's, it should be typical and, and kind of, I guess, hits the the typical amount of disappearances that any ship's going through an area where tropical cyclones are happening constantly. That would happen. Furthermore, Berlitz and other writers would often fail to mention such storms or even represent the disappearance as having happened in calm conditions when meteorological records clearly contradict the stories. So again, people see an avenue, they'll leave out little details, maybe tweak little details, and suddenly things don't make sense anymore. And that's what he found people were doing because he did the footwork. He cracked into the into like what was actually going on that day. And what he also found was that the numbers themselves had been exaggerated by really sloppy research. For instance, a boat's disappearance would be reported, but its eventual, if belated return to port may not have been reported. So so ships are disappearing because paperwork isn't being done properly. And that immediately gets fed into the Bermuda Triangle. It disappeared for a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's 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 like it, he just went and asked and basically, no, they showed up. They were here. We, we know they were here. It's nuts. Moreover, some disappearances had, in fact, never actually happened. One plane crash was said to have taken place in 1937 off Daytona Beach, Florida, in front of hundreds of witnesses. And when he went to go check the local papers, nothing had been revealed. There had been no articles about any uh, any crazy crash that hundreds of people supposedly saw. Um, he he concluded generally that the legend of the Bermuda Triangle is basically a manufactured mystery perpetuated by writers who either purposely or unknowingly made use of misconceptions, faulty reason, reasoning and sensationalism. And that's, I think, where I mostly fall when it comes to the Bermuda Triangle, especially like reading up on it a lot. I will say my one mysterious note is that if aliens were to abduct people, wouldn't it be the smart place to abduct people that are already going missing on a regular basis and it would just be none the wiser? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, underwater I'm is the saying. best place to hide somebody. So, you know, if, yeah, you if, you've, exactly. if you've seen the deep or the abyss, hey, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um. But yeah, I mean, there's other things too, like the Gulf Stream, just straight up human error, methane hydrate. Like there's a ton of reasons that ships can go missing. But I think the big thing for me when I was reading the book is that just the fact that there really isn't a greater number of ships that go it's missing just in the area. PR, man. The word Bermuda it's sounds all, cool. All the fact PR. that it's a triangle makes it sound like it's a James Bond movie. That's all it is. It's <laughs> yeah. from the 60s. The same shit. I need you. I need you to know, Alex. I want to jump off of that statement because tonight, as we were talking, I typed in to Google Bermuda Triangle. The first thing that popped up for me uh-huh. was Cypress Grove Bermuda Triangle pasteurized goat milk cheese. That's the first thing that popped up. Delicious. And what's crazier is that it's <laughs> you can get it, Alex, at a restaurant that's like in the general area of where we're at, which is freaking <laughs> hilarious. Delicious. I, like, and it literally is just, it's just cheese shaped like a triangle. It's, it's like marketing stuff. It's just but like, it's cheese. All that cheese is shaped triangle. like a triangle almost. But here's the best part. <laughs> I it's, mean, it's, yeah. I was like, oh, this cheese must be from Bermuda. No, it's made in, in California. Of course <laughs> it know? is. Happy goats. Of, you know, 
Those those dang Californians, man. They're happy. Gotta love the California Bermuda Triangle. You've gotta you've gotta admit though, and I don't I'm I'm pretty sure that Jesse and Mathis haven't seen it, Alex, but I think that you'd be most impressed with it. We do have one of the best looking flags. That's true. That's actually the Bermudian flag is actually is actually fire. Yeah, it's uh it's got a lot going on. It looks like uh, you know, like a like oh, a damn. like a sick like polo jersey, like a like a cool mm-hmm. like yes, old school, that's a great way to describe that old school athletics. Like it looks yep. like like a killer rugby team or something would have that. Yep, I I, I love our flag. It's one of my favorite favorite flags ever. It's so good. It's a vibe. It is. It's good. Well, that's it, boys, for our Bermuda Triangle episode. Thank you so much, Zinvicta, for joining us. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for coming. Yeah, very, very cool. First-hand knowledge of, like, living there and what, if there was, it's, it was interesting to find out that the people who live there don't really know about what the Bermuda Triangle myth even is. It is yeah, interesting, yeah. This, it is interesting to, to note that the coat of arms of Bermuda does seem to be a ship disappearing into the fog. <laughs> oh, oh, the mystery continues. Uh, that is, that is say, part of it, yeah. Can I just say, I don't want to, like, put this out there, but I'm going to. Do you think Bermuda is in on it? Are they working with the aliens? And that's why they're like, oh, Bermuda Triangle. We don't know what that is. Is is Invicta PR? It's an insider. No, is he a hybrid? Are we dealing with Are the you gray a star human child? Hybrid? No, oh my God, no, what? surely not. You, you, bo- you both have seen me. Uh, you all three of you have actually seen me in real I've life. I've seen and- what you presented as your yeah. physical. And form. what's weird is you only showed up my life like ten or so years ago. So what were you doing before that? He's not even on camera right now. Whoa, bro. <laughs> Wait, you guys can't see me? I'm, I've got my camera on. You guys can't no, see me? No, we can't see you at oh, all. I thought I was on the entire time. Oh, oh, oh so no. My, my, no, ba- my says- battery must have gone out, I guess. It, oh, man. Oh, sorry. Well, uh, well, weird, well. Weird, weird, weird. I mean, huh. you, you've, you've seen. Well, <laughs> you all have seen both well. sets of my eyelids. So, I mean, you, you know. can find I mean, out all of this and more at my new website, QAnon, but not that QAnon. It's JohnDelancey.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for uh, uh, thanks for having me. I really I really appreciate it. And yeah, uh, very fun stuff. You know, if if everyone, if the listeners, if you all want to do a, a follow up and have me back, I'd love to uh, love to come yeah, back man, and, and and keep on keep on vibing, man. Hell yes, yeah, man. We'd love we'll have to, to find another Absolutely. mystery uh, set, set in Bermuda. There, yeah, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of people that Alex do like it. We'll bring you on for an Alex internet mystery and uh, you can go crazy trying to figure out what the fuck the point of the story is and then be left on red and never find You'll out. You'll find no, out. The, there, there's, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of them. I mean, you know, you've got uh, yeah. e- even the original name of, uh, of Bermuda was the Devil's Islands. So, you know. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you're just showing evidence why it is haunted. You know what I mean? Or it is is dangerous and aliens are there. No, and it's, it's literally heaven on earth. It is the most beautiful lo- place it that you ever ass looks like. It does look like a it. beautiful it really Lego town. I can't believe it. It is. It is gorgeous. And I wish I could. One, one day I'll be able to go back home and visit again. Yeah. One day um, when everything gets kind of back to normal. We're off to do a mini sode with good old Sinvicta. So if you want more Sinvicta, it'll be with us in the mini sode over at Patreon.com slash Illuminati pod at the $15 tier where you can get the mini sodes immediately after release. Um, last thing I want to say before we play the best outro music of any podcast, um, if you guys are free on May 26th and don't or live close enough or want to make a road trip or even live in Austin, Texas, we are doing Illuminati live at the Parish Theater. Tickets are on Ooh. sale right now. They're over half sold out. If you want VIP tickets, it's only a few of those left. So go grab those because um, I, have, I have a feeling we're going to sell out well before the show 
even I happen. So go drink grab a your beer tickets. near you. Confirm. Yes, it'll happen. <laughs> I will sensually call you all Chaluminox in I person. I will shake my head disapprovingly. Mathis, Mathis gets up and moves around more than you would expect during the live show. <laughs> is that a bad no, thing? Like, is it's it just, just weird? more, is it it's weird just how much more than you would expect. That's all I'm saying. Can I go just yeah, sit yeah. in the audience during the live show? Could I just like go take my microphone and just sit in the audience? You gotta find another like... Uh, These weirdos. You gotta find another guy to sit like with you bit? to like do like a... like. Uh, yeah, I'll see what Jesse. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. We'll be like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, get look at this shifty names. guy. Look at, look at this guy ah, with the long hair over here. Uh, the only people, aliens you know, are the ones up on the stage. <laughs> Holmes and Watson. The More like Deets and Watson. <laughs> hey. Listen, I'm aiming to end the show. We came I, back I hate, to first it. of all, I can't believe you brought that joke back. <laughs> Rule three Second got all, me. It got me. If I can end the show like we ended our LA live show, where like we ended it on me saying something so insane jesse literally walked off the stage and couldn't even take me seriously which I made me feel accomplished you walked away from me i thought i made a very good point and you on the other hand walked away so if you want to no. see that kind of shit it's a good time we'll have a really good time and if you get vip passes you get a 30 minute uh, pre-show you get a bunch of free swag that you're going to be given it's going to be a lot of fun we're off to go do the mini so thank you all so much for watching we appreciate you goodbye everybody. see ya Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here! So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.